everybody. This is Jamie DiPolo. I'm the senior, senior editor at breastcancer.org, and welcome to our February podcast. Today, I'm really happy we have Dr. Lynn Wong, who is a female sexual medicine specialist. She practices with Mainline Health. Welcome, Dr. Wong. Thank you. We're so happy to have you here. And I'm curious, how did you become interested in that area of medicine? Because it doesn't seem like there are a lot of people who focus on that. Right. Well, I have been a gynecologist since 2002, so it's been quite some time, and I found that in the office, what I was interested in talking about and what women were interested in talking about were basically about sex and relationships. Okay. And um, I think as OBGYNs, we're not trained to address those issues. So I found myself asking more and um, finding out who could um, give me the answers um, and ended up pursuing postgraduate training at University of Michigan to be a sexuality counselor to address the sexual health issues of my patients. Okay. And February, Valentine's Day is in February, so that's why we thought we'd focus on this topic because... Thoughts of romance and love and sex and everything all seems to be tied into February because of Valentine's Day. And I know we get comments on our discussion boards on the site where people talk about, oh, this happened, that happened, this didn't happen, and I wanted it to. So this we thought this would be a perfect topic for the February podcast. Um, so I know there are two models of female sexual response. And if you could sort of go over those for us and and explain, because some women may have one, some women may have a combo, and people are thinking, well, I don't have what I see on TV or anything, so is something wrong with me? Yes, and in fact, that's what a lot of women come in saying, I don't have desire, or I have low desire, and I've always had low desire, and basically, what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the most important things that women need to understand is that different women are wired differently. Okay, what meaning? Meaning, okay. That some women are wired to have a female sexual response as, well, first of all, let's back up. Female sexual response is basically the way how our mind and body responds to sexual stimulus. Okay. Okay. And so some women respond in a very um, uh, linear fashion, meaning they have they start with desire, which leads to arousal, which leads to orgasm, and then resolution. Okay. That was put forth by Masters and Johnson. Okay. Some people might be familiar with them. Sure. And so I kind of liken that to um, kind of the Disney ride, um, you know. <laughs> the roller coaster? Yes, the roller coaster. What's that What's that big roller coaster one that everybody wants? Oh, I, you know, I'm really scared yeah. of them, so yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't know, but so, yeah. So, it, you know, it, it's like a roller coaster ride, right? Mm-hmm. There are many other types of sexual responses, but another common one is what's called a cyclical response, meaning women don't begin with desire, but given the right person, place, time, maybe open to sexual activity, become aroused, which then hopefully leads to a positive sexual activity that is both emotionally connecting, 
physically connecting, which then makes them more open to future sexual activity. Okay. And, and that was put out by a Rosemary Vassan, um, a um, sex therapist. Okay. That's been a more recent finding, so a lot of women actually don't understand, don't know about that. Okay. Okay. Younger women tend to want that kind of role to to relate to that roller coaster way. Sure. You know, and um, uh, older women or women who have been in long term relationships tend to relate to that circular model. Okay. Okay. So the roller coaster, if if I'm understanding it right, it almost seems like that's more. Physical, or is there yes, still a large mental component? Right. Okay. There, so there is a biological. There's a strong biological component with that cyclical. Mm-hmm. With, I'm sorry, with the roller coaster model. Okay. As opposed to what I call the, um, it's a small world model, right? Okay. I mean, they're both magical, but sure. just in different just different. Ways, and the right? the second one, the the cyclical model, almost seems more mental, like it's your brain or it your has, mind that's kind of getting you into it. Whereas the yes. first one is very like, oh, I see, you know, I want that. Yes, <laughs> yes, and it has more to do with the goal so the goal for the cyclical model is more emotional and physical connection so it's about what's going on inside your head and what's going on in between that space between you and your partner okay okay Mm -hmm. okay that makes sense yeah but the problem is that a lot of entertainment and books and drug companies want to um push the roller coaster model and then you have a whole lot of women feeling like, well, how come I don't have that? And how come I'm not, Right. Uh, there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. I don't then, have that reaction. I don't have that reaction. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I did, but now I don't. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that as long as you feel satisfaction with whatever activity you have, mm-hmm. with yourself, with your partner, that's all that counts. Sure. Okay. Now, if you're not feeling satisfied, and I'm not talking about orgasms or not orgasms. I'm just talking about satisfaction. Sure. Then that's where there's room for improvement. Okay. Okay. So really, kind of like many other things in life, you really shouldn't compare yourself to anybody else because everybody's going to have kind of a unique sexual response in a way. I mean, certainly yes. they would fall into these patterns or models. But what satisfies you may not satisfy somebody else, and what satisfies them may not satisfy you. That's absolutely right. Okay. Okay. So how does this, I know you mentioned that younger women may tend to have the roller coaster model more. Let's say you're a younger woman and you do have the more circular model. Mm-hmm. How do these, how does it change as we age? How does female sexual response change as, as women get older? So we're not entirely sure why, but it may be linked to multiple issues. From a biological standpoint, we know that testosterone levels peak when we're in our 20s, okay. and then they drop by 50% by the time we're in our 40s, and then plateau after that. A lot of women think that their testosterone drops at menopause. That is not true. Okay. And in fact, that drop happened between the 20s and 40s. So maybe there's a link between testosterone and desire issues, okay. although that link hasn't been uh, very clear in the studies okay. um, and with medication. Then there are issues with relationships. So we know that as women transition from short-term relationships to long-term relationships, the desire levels go down. And that may be just from either being in a rut or finding other 
things that are much more important like emotional connection, um, stability, things like that. So in other words, being in a stable relationship may be more important than having sex all the time. Is that sort of to distill it down in a, in a way? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In other words, sex is not to have an orgasm. Sex is to have emotional and physical connection for stability, for stress relief. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Everybody's different. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. Now, any woman could have reduced libido. And we, again, we've seen some messages on our boards, um, specifically from women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer. But with menopause, as you said, with different hormones affecting it, um, really any woman could have decreased libido. I mean, is that very common, pretty much, that it's, it's going to happen? Um, I wouldn't say it's going to happen. It is very common, but only a small percentage of the women who have reduced libido are bothered by it. Okay. And that's really the key. If you have reduced libido and it's not affecting you, your partner, your relationship, then we leave you alone. Mm -hmm. Okay. If it's bothering you, that's when we start to evaluate and um, consider treatment options. Okay. And then uh, what... What are some of the reasons, I know you touched a little bit on hormonal issues, but are there other things that can affect your libido? Absolutely. So things like medications are a big one. What, um, what kinds? Uh, antidepressants are oh. uh, known for affecting libido. Um, other types of medications um, for uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, and even those medical conditions can contribute to libido issues. Okay, so all things that sort of also come on as we age, so it's kind of like a double whammy Exactly, exactly. Then from the psychological standpoint, things like depression, anxiety, history of trauma and abuse can absolutely contribute. Stressors, common everyday stressors of caretaking, job okay. loss, okay. absolutely contribute. Grieving can contribute. Okay. Social issues, meaning the attitudes and beliefs we had regarding sexuality, absolutely. How, how you were taught to look at sex, approach sex, absolutely affects how you approach and look, look at sex as an adult. Okay. Does it? Does you think that changes for a lot of people? Like well, yes, does absolutely, it? Okay. Okay. absolutely. Okay. We're wired to change and adapt, and I think that um, just because you were, if you were raised in a sex negative upbringing, doesn't mean that you're going to be sex negative. Mm-hmm. It's just one component in many. Okay. Then there are relationship issues, and when I say that, I mean past and present relationships. Okay. Can absolutely affect it if you're feeling emotionally connected, physically connected. That's a positive thing. Uh, But if you're having marital discord, if you're having attraction issues, communication issues, Mm -hmm. then those can contribute to desire problems. Okay. It all all plays into it, which makes sense. Yeah. And so a lot of women that come in, they have multiple issues and they're not sure which one's more important and how, how to sort through it. Mm-hmm. And that just takes time to, to go through. Okay. Um, often one issue affects all the other issues. Mm, that and makes so, sense too. Um, 
it does take time to work through those and to figure out which one's more important um, and which one takes precedent. Okay. Now, if you then throw a breast cancer diagnosis on top of all these other issues, which I'm assuming then, so you've got stress, I'm sure, with a, that comes with a diagnosis. You have treatments that I'm also assuming can affect libido. I know you mentioned antidepressants, and in some cases, yes. antidepressants are used to alleviate some of the side effects from yes. hormonal therapies and things. But are there other um, known, or how do I want to say it? Are there are, do other treatments? Are they known to affect sexuality? I mean, I'm assuming like when you're undergoing chemo, your body is so wiped out that yes, libido is probably the farthest thing from yeah. your mind. Yeah. Are but are there other things that we should talk about. So I think that um, when you bring breast cancer into the mix, it brings a whole host of other issues. We know that chemotherapy agents, radiation agents, those long-term therapies all affect sexuality. And unfortunately, unlike all the other after effects of breast cancer treatment, sexuality, off, sexual issues often either get worse or stay the same. Mm. So that's why it becomes all the more important to address these issues, especially as you go through the treatment process. Okay. Okay. So to me, when somebody has breast cancer, it's, and with sexual issues, it's kind of like the same idea of somebody who's just been in a massive car accident and you're asking them to ride that roller coaster or ride that, the, it's a small world, mm-hmm. right? right? They're, they're just not in that mental space mm-hmm. to, to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, so my approach is to think of things more in terms of looking at your sexual health when you have breast cancer. We need to address all those biological, psychological, social, relational issues. But one way to look at it is to think about your relationship with yourself or with your partner Mm -hmm. as, I'm going to bring up an image, which will be an egg. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And... The whole point of this image is to think of your relationship with yourself or with another person as um, in the frame of sexual health. Meaning, when we assess somebody or their relationship for sexual health, we look at the the, the outer eggshell. Okay. Right? Let's call that physical connection. Okay. Okay. When we look at physical physical connection, what we're looking for is whether there is satisfaction with the sexual activity, meaning are you satisfied with yourself, with your partner, with you as a couple. The other thing we look for is eroticism. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, do you know and can you communicate what you like, when you like it, how you like it? 
Okay. Basic communication issues. That could be, I think that's tough for a lot of people because they don't Very know how tough. to say Very tough. what Even they want. Even before the breast cancer, sure. right? Sure. The other two things that we look for are whether you have positive, realistic goals. Meaning, we're not looking for Fifty Shades of Grey sex, <laughs> right? right? We're looking for something that is generally good most of the time, and sometimes it just isn't, mm -hmm. but generally good. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing we look for is whether you have um, the ability to expand your definition of sex. Yeah. In other words, the traditional approach is to define sex as penetrative sex. Mm -hmm. Okay? The problem with that is as women, as women get older, there is vaginal dryness issues, pain issues. For men, they have erectile issues. Um, and, of course, let's not leave out same-sex couples. Sure. Okay? But there's usually issues that come with aging. And so it's going to be more important as we age to make sure that we include outer course along with inner course so that it's... Uh, our satisfaction level is not hung up on something that probably and might not work. Gotcha. Right? Okay, that makes sense. Right. And so these are not my ideas. <laughs> these are ideas of famous sex therapists from all over the world. Sure. Um, uh, I, I just like to, um, you know, I grew up in the generation of MacGyver. I love MacGyver. <laughs> Okay. I, he can make like a he can make a tampon right. and a pinwheel exactly and a bomb. Yep. So you know I I I like taking lots of different ideas mm -hmm. together. Um, and so just so they don't get mad at me, Barry McCarthy and Sally Foley and Peggy Kleinplatz. Um, oh God, there's too many. I but right. anyways, there's a lot of. But it's like a smorgasbord of different that, ideas that can all be pulled in to help people. Right. Sure. Right. These are not my ideas. The egg is my idea, though. Right. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so we go back to the shell, right? And we want to make sure that that shell is strong. Okay. Right? But at the core, the really, really important stuff is whether a, a couple or an individual is emotionally connected. Okay. Okay? And when I say emotionally connected... I mean the stuff that, um, so Sue Johnson is a famous um, uh, uh, couples therapist that founded Emotionally Focused Therapy, couple okay. therapy, and I love her, her definition of emotional connection, which is asking yourself, does that person, do I matter to that person? Can I turn to that person? Can I lean on that person? Okay. Okay. And that can be, if you don't have a partner, that can be turned inward, too. Oh, okay. Right? Can I trust myself? Tr can, can I lean on myself? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's not an easy answer for some people. No, right? no I could see where that would be difficult. So that's, consider that as kind of a yoke. That's the really, really important stuff. Okay. And I think that when couples or individuals are in distress, we need to really focus on that emotional connection. Okay. So for women with breast cancer, sometimes what women have told me is, I, I'm i not in my body. Okay. My body's my, become a foreign thing yeah, to me. Yeah, it is just a vehicle at this point. I okay. live from the neck up. Okay. And so part of therapy is encouraging women to come back into their body. 
Okay. Okay. And that that relates to the emotional connection. Okay. Okay. So you have these two layers, right? You have the emotional connection, that the the yoke, mm-hmm. um, and then you have the physical connection, which is the shell. Mm-hmm. And to me, the that white stuff in the middle is touch. Mm. Interesting. Right. Okay. So. Touch is what connects the emotional and the physical connection. Oh, I like right? that. That makes sense. So a, a lot of women have told me, okay, but we I won't even let him touch me because I'm afraid it's going to end up in penetrative sex. Okay. And that's going to hurt, so we don't even do anything. Uh. And so part of um, the process is relearning all the different levels of touch. So touch can be just simple hugs and kisses, holding hands, all the way to massages, all the way to sensual touch. Now what about, how does it fit in there? I know um, I've seen several discussions on the boards where women who've been diagnosed and have had surgery say, my partner is afraid to touch my breasts. He or she doesn't want to hurt me or the person feels like they're... Um, uh, it kind of goes along with doesn't want to hurt you, but it's like it's become this this thing, this area that's yes. of concern. Yes. So how how do you work with that? How Because that seems like a hard thing to overcome. Yes. So my advice would be to go slow and go back to basic touch of not necessarily even your breasts. Mm-hmm. I would start with touching parts of the body that, that is okay. In other words... Let's just start with foot massages, hand massages, face massages, scalp massages. Let's work with just being okay with touch, being okay to the point that you're actually enjoying that touch. Both people too, right? Enjoying giving and receiving, Mm -hmm. right? And the other thing that's important to know is that we as humans, we are wired to adapt. And so let's take advantage of that, right? Mm -hmm. So... What many women have told me is that they have found new spots of sensitivity, of uh, new erogenous zones, Mm. right? So Mm -hmm. it's time to explore, if you're okay with that, in a gentle way. Okay. Okay. So you don't don't have to start at the breast. It can be anywhere else and explore, but in a gentle way. Okay. And then gradually, if both people are comfortable with it, keep expanding... The yes, areas. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because I know it seems like the breasts, at least the female breasts, are so um, sensationalized sexually in a manner because of whatever popular culture mm-hmm. that if they the breasts are not involved, then it seems weird. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. what a lot of people think yeah. because of, you know, you see whatever magazines and ads and everything and they're yeah. right there. The breasts are right there. And yeah. so to not have them involved in this, the sexual act, whatever the sexual act is, I think may be strange for some people. But I but the whole idea of finding these new areas that are pleasurable makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I would say don't worry about what other people and what the, uh, uh, you know, the uh uh, the magazines say, sure. uh, or the books say, I would say focus back on that feeling in your gut of 
things feeling good. Mm -hmm. And try to think about when was the last time that you felt good. Okay. And focus back to, you know, pay attention to where in your body you feel that. Mm -hmm. And think of that as a thread, right? You want to go back to that thread and pick up from where you left off. Okay. Okay. Focus back into your body and use that as a compass. Okay. Okay? Of what feels good to you and what doesn't. Okay. Now, if there... I guess I'm just curious. If, if I'm a woman, I've been diagnosed. I'm seeing a lot of doctors. And I feel like I'm having... I'm not happy with my sex life or my libido. Yeah. Yeah. Who do I talk to about this? Because I've got, you know, I've got an oncologist. I've got a GP. I've got this person. I've got that person. I've got nurses. And it's not an easy topic for a lot of people to talk about. So how do I start? I think a good place to start is your uh, gynecologist. Okay. Quite frankly, I, you know, even though most OBGYNs are not trained to address um, sexual issues per se, mm-hmm. they are a good place to start because at the very least they can rule out things like vaginal dryness and treat okay. that, you know, the, the mm-hmm. more biological causes. Um, and then, if they're not comfortable, know that you can always ask for a referral to, say, a sex counselor or a sex therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sex counselors are usually people in the healthcare provider world. Okay. And they can be nurses, physicians, um, nurse practitioners. Sex therapists are in the mental health care world, and they are uh, therapists, okay. um, psychologists, people like that. That specialize in that sex. specialize okay. in sex. And a lot of women say, well, what's the difference between them? Sure. And the difference is the difference between health, the health care world and the psychological world, one. But two, sex counselors in the health care world uh, can examine patients if it's within their scope of practice, meaning me as a gynecologist, sure. I can examine patients if I think there's some sort of biological issue. Okay. okay? So in a, in a therapist main, would a therapist, can, therapist they are, couldn't examine you, but could they say, you know, I think there's also something physical going yes, on and you need to yes. see a gynecologist? Sex, yes. Sex okay. therapists are ethically bound not to examine patients, okay. but they are trained to work closely with healthcare providers. Okay to work in a multidisciplinary fashion. And so um, I am called a female sexual medicine specialist, which is kind of like a lay term. It just means a physician that um, has had training in sexual health. Okay. Um, But a good place to go to is websites um, like ASECT, A-A-S-E-C-T. That's the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. Org. That's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> Could you say that one, okay. one more time? A-A-S-E-C-T dot org. Okay. And if you go there, you'll find the ones that are certified. Certified sex therapists, educators, and counselors okay. in your local area. Um, uh, and there are many other other uh, websites that you can refer to. Another one is um, uh, STAR, S S T A. R. Okay. .org. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you're looking for a good uh, therapist, 
then you can look at uh, the American Psychological Association, okay. APA.org, mm-hmm. uh, Good Couples Therapist, uh, you can find there, uh, and then you can go to um, ICEFT, I-C-E-F-T.org to look up the um, Emotionally Focused okay. uh, Couples Therapy. And what is, what is ICEFT? Stand for? Oh, do you know, Lordy. Do you oh, if you don't remember, that's okay. fine. I don't I want to put you on this spot. International something, something of <laughs> emotionally focused. Therapy. Okay. Now, I, I'm curious too, um, especially when we talk about the couples. What if my partner doesn't want to go? Um, you know, I'm perceiving a problem. I'm I'm not happy or satisfied. Um, but the partner says, well, you know, it's okay. It'll probably get better. You know, let's just give it some time. Is it worthwhile for just me to go? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Because there's so many things that we can work on as an individual. Okay. And sometimes it just takes a, a while for the partner to come around. Okay. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. All right. That's good. Um... Let's see. So we talked about who to see. I'm trying to think. That's about all my questions for now. We've covered quite a bit. Is there anything else you'd like to add or close with? No. uh, I just want women to know that there is definitely help out there, and there's people that are ready and willing to help. You just have to reach out, and sometimes you have to be a little bit more proactive. Um, uh, in looking for these people. Okay, so, yeah, the bottom line is don't suffer in silence. Um, We know it's a difficult topic to bring up sometimes, but there's no embarrassment, and if you're not happy, you should get help. Just ask. Just ask. All right, thank you very much, Dr. Wong. It's been wonderful to have you as our guest, and I'm hoping you'll come back before next February. All right. And we'd like to thank everybody for tuning in to this breastcancer.org podcast, and we hope you tune in to our next one.